Okay, I think we're live now. Hi, everyone. Uh, sorry about the delay. We had a couple of technical difficulties, but we are here now. Uh, my name is Genevieve Glass. I am a reporter here at Being Patient, and I am so excited to welcome Dr. Um, Linda Urkari. She is a clinical psychologist in the uh, geriatric department at UCLA, and she is going to walk us through a little bit about what people with loved ones with dementia can do to, you know, if they're unsafe driving or if they're concerned about their driving habits, how they can broach that conversation. Um, you know, it's an incredibly sensitive topic. So, you know, it's something that we want to approach with uh, care. So she is here to tell us a little bit about that. So thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thanks to be here, Genevieve. Really, uh, appreciate the invite to talk about this such a such a sensitive topic but of course really important right so no, of course no it really it really is and dr coley i mean you are quite an expert on this i've watched some of your videos um and so i guess we can just start with you know say there's someone whose loved one has dementia and they're noticing that their driving habits are getting increasingly worse maybe they're having close calls maybe they're driving in the car with them and noticing that people are honking at them a lot you know what is something they can do to start the conversation because i think it's something you do need to ease into um and so i was wondering if you have any tips on that yeah um very good point it is something that one has to ease into to just preface this about um about the sensitivity of the topic is, you know, we've all, most people look forward to getting their driver's license, right? It's like the ultimate independence, freedom, et cetera. Yeah. And uh, you do what you want when you want to do it, right? Go where you need to go, want to go, et cetera. So to, to tell somebody you're not, you're really not a safe driver anymore. I don't want you to drive. It's time to give it up, turn in the keys. What whatever, is that it's a real threat to somebody's independence. Right. It it's also can be a threat to someone's dignity, right? It's, you know, like what I've, I've been driving for 50 years and or 60, 70 years, and I'm an expert driver, I never get a ticket, etc. So it's, it's very sensitive um, about about people's dignity, their independence, their their self-esteem, how they view themselves, et cetera. So you're absolutely correct in this, in that this is a topic that has to be broached uh, in most cases and if possible, gradually and with sensitivity. Now there may be a time when, you know, that's like absolutely not, There's it's just too dangerous. But so how do you start those conversations? Well, the first thing that you mentioned was going on a drive with somebody being in the car with someone so you know how someone is driving so it's good to to do that before you have a conversation you know some some observation of someone's driving or maybe a good first a good secondhand report from someone else um the idea is to start talking about this ideally in a perfect world before someone starts to have problems. So as people get older, as they start to slow down, as they start to have vision problems 
or you know other other kinds of challenges to say you know honey dear mom dad you know there there might come a time when maybe you're not as good a driver as you used to be or you're not a safe driver you know it's possible this can happen to anyone how you know how can we deal with that when it comes you know do you want me to let you know or do you want to come to me and tell me when when you're not feeling comfortable anymore so that that's one way to start it is to get somebody's um get that conversation started in advance of needing to have it and then you can actually um at least get a sense of where that person you know is and how they feel about it right as, as things though start to become apparent then again having these gradual conversations you can even start with hey hey mom how how do you feel about you know your driving are you still enjoying it do you like it and get a sense again of where are they on this um otherwise you can say you know mom i i i got really scared the other day when you made that left hand turn and almost you know almost got into a head on with someone maybe we can have some talks about like how you're feeling about your driving cuz i i wouldn't want anything bad to happen to you or or anyone else and um those are the con kinds of conversations that one has to have but it's usually more than once and and there should be alternatives to not driving so if you if you just propose that someone stop driving and you don't in your head have a backup plan or at least say we can find other ways for you to get around um then that's going to make that conversation much more difficult than if you offer alternatives yeah because i think it's you know you can it's all very you know good and well to say you can stop driving but if you're not either offering your services to drive for them or find an alternative to them, I think that that, you know, that can just completely rid them of their social activity, their ability to do anything, which, you know, that's a whole other loss. Um, right. Something you want to avoid at all costs. So I guess what I'm gathering is you want to be able to have some sort of plan with whether you know if it's say it's your father you know with your say siblings or whoever you know the caretaker or if you are the caretaker figuring out you know a schedule of hey would you be open to this could you help out because so that that person isn't just completely isolated when they need you know transportation exactly exactly and and so if if there is no alternative driving plan in place it it's it it could be a disaster, right? For for the person who is going to hopefully not drive anymore. Um, you could also talk about it in a gradual way. Definitely, you know, tell them I, I don't feel comfortable with you driving at night. I don't feel comfortable with you driving on the freeway. You know, you can start to have them see if they would adjust their driving alter their driving pattern so they can go to the store you know but but do they want to take a trip you know to vegas or or somewhere you know by themselves on the freeway um no yeah so you can start with just titrating the driving down right 
that's a good suggestion too. I mean, it sounds like kind of in all senses you want to either gradually, ideally, obviously, right? Like gradually have this conversation or gradually take away kind of the driving privileges. Um, yeah, or suggest. Now there, there are some um, interesting kind of toolkits out there. The, the Hartford Corporation actually put out a toolkit that you can download from the internet that that talks about the steps in how we, how to approach a loved one and and one of the things that you can do according to this toolkit and they've done some pilot studies on it and it, you know it 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 seems to be helpful not necessarily you know this is a very tough problem to solve but is to have a contract signed you know an agreement like i agree that when it's time for you know if if my family feels that i'm no longer a safe driver i i agree first of all that somebody tell me about this so that's the other thing who's going to tell you mom or dad or or you know life partner whomever who's going to tell you but so and so will tell me and i will i will agree to stop driving now people might think, oh, that's crazy, but no, because if somebody does start to develop dementia or something like Alzheimer's disease, they often lose the memory of having done something and they often lose their insight about what kind of a driver they are. Mm -hmm. And so you can show them what they, the paper that they sign and the agreement that they sign and say, remember, this is what we did together. So it's a, it's a really cool um, uh, toolkit. And it also talks about how to go about and making alternative plans for driving based on someone's preferences. Well, that sounds like a, we'll definitely link that below uh, once we, yeah, this, we'll definitely link that. And while I have you guys, um, your guys' greater attention, hopefully, um, feel free to ask any questions here. Um, as well in our Facebook page. Um, and we will make sure to ask them probably towards the end of our conversation. Um, okay. Yeah, I just saw one come in. So. Oh, you did? Okay, great, great. Yeah. So we'll definitely, yeah. definitely get to that. Um, so another thing I wanted to talk about, you know, it's a process of getting one's driver's license revoked, right? So right. can you talk about the DMV's involvement in this and maybe mm -hmm. some things that people may not know about how much control they actually do have um, over trying to take someone's driving privileges away. Right. So I can talk about California. Yes. Because the laws do vary by state. And there is a myth that if somebody has dementia, they automatically will lose their driver's license and the DMV is gonna come in and basically take their license. But that's actually not at all how it happens. So, so somebody has to know that you have dementia at the, at the Department of Health. Uh, if not, you know, somebody may continue to, you know, will continue to drive. So it, it's just the same process as if somebody has a seizure that this gets reported to the Department of Health and it's, it's called a, a morbidity report. And then um, who is mandated to report that if 
is it somebody's doctor? Mm. So it could be their neurologist, it could be their primary care, but often um, it's their it's it's their physician. Sometimes it's sort of unclear if a psychologist or a neuropsychologist is a mandatory a mandated reporter. So that gets reported to the health department, who then notifies the DMV. So you you do not report directly to the DMV because that's a breach of privacy, but not it's not a breach to the health department. That's the DMV then notifies usually through a letter the driver and asks them to come in for a driving evaluation. And then that of driving evaluation can include a number of different components. It can include an interview where that that where they sit with a um, uh, some DMV employee who who knows you know knows how to run these kinds of interviews and asks questions. And really, they're trying to find out if a person is oriented, if they have you know what their memory might be like. But it's not a test; it's an interview. They may be asked to take the written driving test, and if they if they don't do well in the interview or they don't do well you know, in the driving test, um, I mean, written test, they might be asked to do a behind the wheel test. Mm -hmm. So, so it, it could in, include, you know, a couple or all of those different components. It really depends on how the individual does. And at that point, they may make some kind of a recommendation, a piece of paper goes to their doctor, and actually their doctor is going to either agree with the DMV's recommendation or, or not agree. Um, if And so there are people that do get reported that can continue to drive, but perhaps with restrictions. So only, you know, for example, no night driving, right. something like that. Um, but if somebody is determined to have what we call moderate dementia, so that's the severity, then that typically leads to a revoked license. But some people with mild dementia continue to drive. So you don't really, one doesn't know until they go for the um, evaluation. Right. Now, somebody can, can actually voluntarily take a driving test. Hmm. So they can do that. Uh, also, uh, a loved one can report somebody who they feel is unsafe, um, that can be done. And, and there are some, some precursors, for example, a doctor here, here at, uh, I believe it's at Cedar sinai there's actually a simulator program where one's doctor can write a prescription to have them evaluated in the simulator, and then they send a report back about whether that person should be driving or not. And they recommend it based on a lot of things, like on their reaction time, on their ability, you know, to, it's not just memory, it's, it's, there's some physical aspects to this as well. So interesting. I mean, it seems, you know, it, it I think when you first think about it, it can seem fairly simple, but then when you really dive into it, there's so many different variables that go into it that, but I think mainly, and what we've, kind of the questions that we've gotten a lot at being patient is just not hurting our loved one's feelings, not making them feel bad, not, you know, potentially hurting um, their relationship. 
with their loved one. So my question is, if you had someone with dementia who is particularly resistant um, or maybe just really adamant, like, I don't have an issue, my driving is fine, um, you know, maybe who would get aggressive, I'm saying worst case scenario, just really resisted against the idea. What would be the next steps you would recommend uh, the caretaker or the family takes? Yeah, this this one is this is where it gets really tough. Um, you can you know you can continue to try to persuade them and and have more than one I mean definitely more than one conversation. Uh, you can you can start to say you know I I um, I don't want you to. I won't let my grand your grandchildren drive with you. Um, you can you can do things like that, um, but you can then start to take more drastic measures, which might be taking the keys away or disabling the car. People have done that. Um, people have like removed the battery from the car. The problem is like some people are very handy, even though they're maybe, maybe have Alzheimer's disease, they still might find a way to get a new battery or reconnect the battery. So right. the battery has to be removed from the car. Um, some people sell the car and then say that the car is in the shop. And if, if somebody is really in the midst of, you know, memory loss and Alzheimer's or other kinds of dementia, and they're in a more moderate or advanced stage, they will forget that you told them this mm. and they'll ask again and you'll just continue to tell them the car is in the shop. Mm. Those are methods that, you know, people feel uncomfortable um, saying those kinds of things to somebody, right. but, you know, but it does protect their, their dignity a little bit more. Right. Yeah. Uh, like, um, you know, just like a little bit of a white lie. Kind of, yeah. White lie and call them therapeutic fibs. Uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of people are really uncomfortable doing that, but you have to think about the safety of your loved one, first of all, and, and the safety of other people that could be harmed, right? We know of really sad and horrible stories of, of people that drive and shouldn't be driving and they get into collision, they, they get hurt or kill themselves or someone else, or they could end up lost and end up not being found or being found after they've been, you know, exposed to the elements or exposed to people who have, you know, near do wells that take advantage. So there, there are a lot of, of risks right. for people with memory problems driving. No, it's very, very high stakes. Um, so I guess let me go to some of these questions here. One of you. Um, yeah, yeah, so um, so options for alternate transportation. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about family, we talked about caretakers. What is your take on say someone with dementia taking an Uber or uh, something of the like granted not when we're in a pandemic um like we are now but right know, hopefully so so you know one of the things 
a come that comes up is public transportation. Mm -hmm. um, the the issue with public transportation is you have to know which which bus. Let's talk about bus system. Which bus to catch right. and stop to take and get off and how to get back. Not good for some individuals who right who will get disoriented or lost and now you have a poor person riding the bus lines or the train not knowing where they are yeah. so if they have a you know if they if they're getting disoriented and lost while they're driving i i wouldn't have a lot of faith that they could independently take public right. like a bus um uber and those types of ride shares um could be could be options but again, some of the some of the issues would be, can can that person use an app to call a driver? Mm -hmm. And will they remember that they took a ride share to where they're going? Right. And and can they navigate the instructions, which would say your driver is, you know, if you look on your phone, your driver's 10 minutes away and they're, you know, they're a mile away and they'll be there. So Will they get into the Uber or or the rideshare with the right driver? Right. So again, if you know Uber does or Lyft or whatever does work for some people, there's a little bit better or safer alternative, which is something called uh, GoGo Grandparent. And mm -hmm. it's not the only one. There are a couple of services out there that, first of all, you don't have to have the app, but basically you call them. And they'll make the arrangements for you for both pickup and delivery. So, so, so I would call and round trip. Okay, so I, so say I would call on my loved one's behalf, and they your loved one might be able to call them. Or they call them. I to, yeah, I want to go to you know Vaughn's. So, Vaughn, it's, you know. Just yeah. it's just yeah. Or you can call for them. That's right. But the option, but that that's a great option because as opposed to using an app, which can be confusing um, for some, you can just pick up the phone and make a call. That's a great yeah. option. We'll definitely, we'll definitely yeah. link that as well. Much better. It preserves your independence better. There is a fee involved, but but it's it's a lot safer and um, and it there's some steps that are removed from that whole app process. So, so often many people who, you know, can't drive anymore, many of them can't, can't, or don't efficiently operate their smartphones either. Right. So it really, you know, doesn't always work. Um, I like the idea of a family round robin or, or a network of folks who can say, you know what, on Tuesday, I'm, you know, I'm your driver, or yep. you have set days to do things so people know like on Wednesdays, they go to the store and so-and-so can take them. Uh, same thing with coordinating doctor's appointments. Yeah. So I think it's still, you know, the most user-friendly um, way to do it is, and the safest way, because sometimes people that, <clears throat> not always, but sometimes people who become unsafe drivers need escorts to get where they're going. Some people don't. All they need is the ride. So, right. So those are the things that one has to figure out. Um, and don't forget, you know, they're more expensive, but taxi cabs are still a really reliable way to get around. Yeah, it's, it's so true. I mean, 
just as you alluded to, there's just so many different variables and every person's different and their needs are different. And so just being able to find something that works for your loved one is obviously highly individualized, but I think you've really given us some great tools. Um, and I'll definitely link those uh, below. Let okay. Me, let me see if we've had any other questions here. We've just got some, just got some comments here, which is great. I think what um, what I wanted to ask, give me one second to make sure I'm not missing anything here. Um, is there any kind of specific language or like? you know, a sentence or something that you found works really well to, you know, what, you know, say you've already gone through the beginning stages of this conversation, you're at the point where you really don't want your loved one driving anymore. Right, sorry to put you on the spot, maybe there's not, but are there a few kind of words, key words or phrases that, you know, we can share with our community that can help them if they're just at a loss for words or they're just afraid of, you know, hurting the loved one? I think one really important way is um, four little words, do it for me. Mm. Um, that sometimes works, do it for me, do it for dad, do it, you know, um, do it for your grandchildren. They don't want to lose you. Mm. They don't want it or they don't want anything bad to happen to you. So um, that's one that I, um, that I think is the most sensitive. Sometimes people, and, and I know this for a fact, either doctors or, um, or family members will talk about the Santa Monica uh, disaster, tragic. Oh. That ha happened, I think, almost about a decade ago. Yeah, on the promenade. Yeah, on the farmer's market. and. and People bring that up. Remember what happened at the farmer's market? And it's very, if, if our listeners don't know, it's a very sad story about a, an older man who um, accidentally plowed his vehicle through a farmer's market and he, he unintentionally killed about 10 people or eight people. Somebody died like a year later and he went on trial and, um, a number of things are really tragic about that situation. Number one is that people died. Number two was that he was terribly maligned as doing this intentionally. And Pete, there were so many stories about, you know, his, his demeanor while this was happening. The guy accidentally pressed the gas instead of the brake, you know, and then, of course, was the ordeal of having a trial and all that. And, you know, somebody who's at the end of their life, that's just a, a horrible thing to have to go through for anybody, you know. And certainly it's horrible for any loved ones to lose their lives in that kind of way. So it all around tragic. But people is, that a common, is, is that a common mistake? Um someone with dementia might take is mistaking the gas for the brake. Is that, yeah. I mean, that's obviously the worst case scenario. Usually the, the problems would be unsafe, unsafe lane changes, driving mm -hmm. too slow, um, mistaking the gas for the brake. 
and turning into traffic, maybe taking turns too wide and seeing lots of dings and scrapes on the car. Um, you know, those are, those are some, some of the issues and just like being confused, right? Yeah. As to where one is going. Oh, yeah. You know, and I think, hold on, let me see. I think we got one. There's a good comment there about Uber. Someone else can order the car and make a note that the person being picked up has dementia. So, um, so that's nice to know. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the hard part is, and so that's that's good to know. Thank you for that comment, um, Stephen. Thank you for that. I guess the other the other issue is again, you know, can you rely on that person once they leave home and get in the car to end up where they need to go? So that's a separate question, but that does determine whether one should use rideshare or not. That, yeah, that's a really good. Uh, that's a really yeah. Good yeah, a lot of people don't know how to communicate with uh, somebody who has dementia. So um, it's good. To, I mean, it's absolutely important to know if somebody does, but the driver still may not know how to communicate with that person. And Stephen, thank you for sharing your experience as well, talking about, you know, you taking the driver evaluation and tests at the DMV. I think that really helps to open up this conversation and have some transparency, you know, because I think it can often be something that it's something that many, many people are going through and don't know how to talk about. So right. really appreciate that. I want to mention one more thing. I'm sorry. I left out like a major. Oh, no, absolutely. I was going to ask, I was going to ask if obviously if there's anything that I missed that you think is important to cover. I missed it, which was the other alternate form of transportation, which is access in Los Angeles County, ACCESS, it's van, it's rideshare with a van, mm. with a, with a trained, um, you know, a trained driver. Uh, you, one does have to qualify for access, but uh, once you do, they, they do pick up and delivery of people. So you, you have to call them no more than 24 hours in advance. You might say, Hey, I have a, a doctor's appointment at UCLA or or I need to go to the store, whatever, and they'll they will take you there. It it's like a it's like a van. So you you know you can't get it just when you want it, but right. you need to tell them when you need to be there and then add an hour to it because they can run late. So that that is something that somebody talked about cost uh effective transport. That one is is quite cost is that, is that I mean is that free or is it just a nominal amount? You get a card. I think I think there's a fee, but you get uh, like you get a card. You have to go down to L.A. and and interview with someone. It's a little bit I, I, I don't know now what they're doing during the pandemic. But it, yeah, that's that's another potential. And and um, it it works pretty well for a lot of people. Yeah. No, it's it seems like a great, great option. Um, and, you know, I. I'm really glad that you're sharing this information that we're getting it out there. You know, when I was younger, um, my grandfather who ended up having Parkinson's, but he had dementia as well. And uh, he was driving to see us as he always did and got into an accident. Thank God he was okay. And there was no one else hurt, but that was the, 
that was the wake up call, but the wake up call should have been before that. So I think, you know, these preventative measures and I think just taking, taking the temperature on, you know, your loved one. And I, I love the point of, you know, observing their driving, maybe going with them, taking the driver around the neighborhood, see how other cars react to them, how they react to other cars, um, I think is a great way to just kind of reassure yourself or tell yourself, okay, something needs to be done now. Yeah. And, and this is a conversation that one can have with their doctor, you know, as well. Again, somebody's, you know, somebody's doctor isn't necessarily going to know and so you can't necessarily rely on the on the doctor to handle all of this. And a lot of doctors don't want to handle it, quite frankly, because it can ruin their relationship with the patient. Sometimes patients fire their doctor after that. So um, so it's really, you know, I can tell you that it doesn't always work where somebody's physician will will make that report. But we we have to do it in a way like you're saying that that maintains the dignity of, you know, of, of the person that you're, that you're talking to. That's, so. our, that's all of our goals. Yeah. When it comes down to it. And yeah. my one last question that kind of came up um, when you were talking about that. So is there not a sort of anonymous letter or something that a doctor can write or some, there's nothing, there's nothing that can kind of hide who they are from the patient. I know there's probably some sort of patient confidentiality type thing, but something uh, that's a good question. Yeah. I think, I mean, I've made reports before, um, but I always, I always give my name, but actually I'm not sure that the patient knows right. where the report is coming from, but, but, you know, a lot of doctors will, Will I mean, I usually tell people, I'm sorry, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I have to do this, make this report. Yeah. But, but I also try to reassure people it means you're going to get a driver's test. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to get lose your license. Right. Um, Fair. You know, that's, but, uh, that's I can't actually off the top of my head. I cannot remember. But eventually that piece of paper goes back to the doctor and they sign it. Got it. One way or the other. Yeah. Well, this has been so informative, Dr. Foley. I really, really appreciate your time and insights. Um, I just want to check. I don't think we have any more questions. I'm sure some will come up later, but um, like I tell my young daughter, driving is the easy part. It's dealing with other drivers on the road. Very, very true. Uh, very, very yeah. true. Yeah, and I think somebody made one other comment, and, and I think it's compelling. It's Stephen said, you know, the problem is dealing with the other drivers on the road. And, and yeah. this is the problem um, with people with dementia, just to, to say it's not just how they're doing behind the wheel, but it's, it's what do you do if fill in the blank. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. so it, being defensive driver too, yeah. as well as what you're doing in your driving, it's are you able to manage the, the, uh, you know, the defensive driving aspect of, of driving a car. So um, these are things that you can share. Like, it's really good to share the concerns. Just don't criticize when you do right. it. Yeah, there's a way to be constructive. Yeah. Constructive and caring. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I hope uh, 
this is the first of many that we can do this and you know maybe we can just gather some questions next time from you all sure. uh, run through them but really appreciate your time and um, enjoy the rest of your day thank you thank you you too Genevieve and, and thank thank you to everyone who's been listening and thank you for your questions and it's my pleasure to be here today great all right okay. thanks bye bye